Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our church follows the lectionary. The lectionary is a series of readings that are appointed by the church for the various occasions in the church year, the various Sundays and the various feasts and festivals. Most of the epistles and the gospels that we hear that are appointed for the Sundays go back well before the time of the Reformation. So the church has been hearing these readings for many centuries. And this is also true for some, but not most, of the Old Testament readings. Sometimes there is a clear connection between the various readings, the gospel, the epistle, and the Old Testament. And sometimes there is not such a clear connection between them. In today's readings, there's certainly a clear connection between our Old Testament lesson and our gospel reading. Both of them are reflecting on or giving the Ten Commandments. And as a result, both our Old Testament and gospel are heavy law today. And the clearest gospel that we receive is found in not our gospel reading, but in our epistle reading, for it focuses on baptism. The readings from the lectionary are usually just a few paragraphs long, and because of this, they sit within a broader context of the chapter of the book, the book itself, the occasion for writing the book, who the book is uh, written originally to, and all of that type of context. Now, today's gospel is a portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew contains several discourses proclaimed by our Lord Jesus Christ, and this is the first of those discourses. Now, the portion that we hear in today's gospel is rather brief compared to the entire Sermon on the Mount, which is recorded in Matthew. This gospel is only seven verses long, but Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is found taking up three chapters of Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Today's epistle gives a beautiful treatment of God's work in baptism. In the previous chapter, St. Paul taught some glorious words that were summarized in our hymn of the day today. It is written in Romans chapter 5, As one trespass, that is the sin of Adam, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, that's the work of Christ on the cross, leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
So thus far Paul in Romans chapter 5. But then guided by God the Holy Spirit, St. Paul then asks the question, Shall we sin more that grace may increase? If grace covers all of our sin, should we sin more so that we can get more grace? And Paul responds by saying to his own question, certainly not. And then he teaches us why. Because our identity is found in our baptism. We have died to sin through our baptism. We have arisen to newness of life in our baptism. So therefore, we do not want according to our new man in us, according to our spirit, to keep on engaging in sin. It will not give to us a greater amount of grace. Now, in our Old Testament lesson, the people of Israel were encamped at the base of Mount Sinai, which is sometimes referred to as Mount Horeb in the scriptures. And Moses there is receiving the Decalogue, that is, the Ten Commandments from God. Now, as you heard these Ten Commandments, you probably noticed that it did not say, here's the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. Or here is the Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet. When God gave the Ten Commandments, he did not number them. But yet they are called the Ten Commandments, the first time being in Exodus chapter 34. In our reading today, there's no details on how God's people received these Ten Commandments. Our reading simply ends with the last commandment. Now, if we were to imagine how God's people would have responded with hearing these Ten Commandments, we might imagine they could go, one of two ways. One way we would imagine is, well, these commandments are pretty hard and I can't keep them. Another way to imagine is that maybe they would be happy because they're hearing the word of God and they are, after all, God's people and they are near his presence. So they should be thrilled that God is revealing to them the word. But instead of trying to guess how they respond, we can read from the scriptures how they responded. And the verses which immediately follow our reading from Exodus chapter 20, Moses reports, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. So the Israelites, if you recall, they had witnessed the ten plagues and how God miraculously brought them through it. They had witnessed the parting of the Red Sea and the water coming out of the rock. They had witnessed these miracles of God. And now when they witness this work of God 
the flashes of lightning, the thunder, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking, the giving of the Ten Commandments. They are filled with fear. They are afraid that they will die in the presence of God. And they don't want God to talk to them. They instead want a human voice to speak to them. They want Moses to speak to them. And somewhat shockingly, God agrees to their request. And Moses is the one at the time who serves as that mediator between God and men. Now, nearly 40 years later, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses recounts these events that had taken place when the Israelites were at Mount Sinai. In Deuteronomy 18, it is written, from using, from when, when Moses speaks, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So in these words, Moses is now prophesying, guided, of course, by God the Holy Spirit, that Jesus, the prophet, will come and teach God's people the word of God. That Jesus, the Son of God, will come in human flesh, and he will come with tenderness and mercy. He will come with compassion and love, and he will bring peace to his people. I must say, <clears throat> it is kind of ironic that the people of Israel got to hear the word of God direct from God. And they said, we don't want it. We want to hear it from a man. God says, yes, I'll give it to you. And so Moses delivers the word. Jesus comes as the word made flesh and delivers the word. And now what do people seek for today? They don't want to listen to a man whom God has raised up. Instead, they want God to speak to them directly to tell them what they feel that God should say. Quite the very opposite. But if God did so in the way he did at Mount Sinai, no one would be making that type of request. Now, when Jesus arrives, what are his words like? When Jesus came in the flesh, would, his, would he bring a new message that won't be so strict? Would he meet sinners with leniency that had never been seen before by God's people? When Jesus arrives and conducts his ministry, would he gladly let people off the hook? Or would Jesus let people reinterpret the Ten Commandments so it would fit their modern context, change with the winds of the day, or let the Ten Commandments become the Ten Suggestions? Is that what Jesus did when he came with his ministry. That is not what we see with his preaching. You see, when Jesus 
proclaimed his Sermon on the Mount, he explains the true interpretation of the commandments. In today's gospel, Jesus demonstrates that these commandments are broken in what seems to be very small ways. The fifth commandment is the one that is focused on in today's gospel, which is you shall not murder. But Jesus points out that you shall not murder does not just involve the taking of another human life, although that is the most severe violation of the commandment. But this commandment is broken when people are angry with their neighbors, when people hurl insults at their neighbors, or when they speak abusive language against their neighbors. And what follows immediately after our gospel reading in Matthew chapter 5, in which Jesus continues his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus then expounds on the sixth commandment, which is you shall not commit adultery. Adultery in its strict sense would be basically cheating on one's spouse. But Jesus points out that this sixth commandment is not limited to just that, but looking at others with lust is breaking the commandment. Also, getting divorced for any reason other than sexual immorality, Jesus declares, is adultery. And Jesus adds something further that seems to be lost in the church today, and that is marrying a divorced person is also committing adultery. Jesus concludes this chapter in Matthew by saying, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Those are words that Jesus preaches. And how can we respond? But doing so with the psalmist and proclaim, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. None of us can keep the demands of the law. We have all broken the commandments and have done so repeatedly. And we have also inherited that sin of Adam, as we sang in our hymn and as I read to you from Romans chapter 5. This sin that Adam committed, is passed on from generation to generation all the way down to us. And that sin is known as original sin. That original sin of Adam corrupts all humans to this day. None of us is exempt. So who then will deliver us from our sins? 
Who can reconcile himself to God? Who can render satisfaction for his transgressions? Who can make atonement for iniquity? Who is innocent to do it? None of us are. But Jesus Christ, our Lord, who came in human flesh, is the one to do this on our behalf. Recall again those beautiful words from Romans 5. As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Jesus died on the cross as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the entire world. Jesus bore all your sin in his body and shed his innocent blood as the ransom payment for all of your sin. Through Christ, you are now set free of all of your sin, as we heard in Romans 6. By being baptized into Christ, your sins are drowned and they die. For you are united to the death of our Lord Jesus Christ by virtue of your own baptism. And then just as Christ is risen from the dead, so also in your baptism you are raised up in Christ as a holy person, righteous and innocent, clothed in the very righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus here is showing how he is your mediator. He has intercepted your sins so that you appear before God, our Heavenly Father, as pure and perfect and holy. He has opened paradise to you, granting you access to God, our Father. And just as God the Father declared that he is well pleased with his beloved Son, so now... Through Christ, God the Father is well pleased with you as his dear children. For you are adopted into the very family of God through your baptism. The Holy Spirit has continued to work faith in you. And so you have put on Christ. You abide in him and he abides in you. So while the law's accusations are true, the gospel consolation is even more so. This is for you. And through this saving gospel, you receive the gift of life and salvation. My dear friends, this we cannot overstate. How important this gospel is. For there is no salvation without it. There are so many people who are hurting. They are lost because they do not know what Jesus has already done for them and for their salvation in love. There are so many out there who figure that they can explain their sins away to God that he'll understand as if they don't need an advocate and a mediator, Jesus Christ. There are so many who think that God will say, will look down at them and say, oh, it's fine what you did. You can get by without the sacrificial payment of Christ. They are gravely mistaken. It is tempting these days to think that it doesn't really matter what people believe as long as they are sincere. 
but nowhere in the scriptures is such a teaching found. Instead, the scriptures are very clear that salvation is found under no other name under heaven, but by the name of Christ. Jesus himself declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus also makes it clear in today's gospel that he does not allow for watered-down interpretations of the law. But when he came and preached, he intensifies this law to show them that salvation cannot come from inside the self. He gives a strict law so that we realize that salvation only comes through Christ. He alone could fulfill this law. This then shows us why Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of God's promise to send a prophet like Moses, that Jesus is the prophet. While Jesus proclaims the law in thunderous and seemingly threatening ways, Jesus also fulfills the law in our place. He kept every jot and tittle of the law perfectly. He paid for all the sins that we've committed He makes for our peace so that we now have peace with God and we can have peace with ourselves. We don't need to beat ourselves up over all the failings that we've done that keep on accumulating. We don't need to be haunted by our own pasts with all the regrets that we have because we know that Jesus has washed those sins away And we stand before Christ as faultless, so that when he comes again in glory to judge, he will declare us as God's people to be not guilty. We can have a clear conscience before God because we are, as 1 Peter 3 teaches, baptized. And also we can claim Christ as our advocate. And even our relationships with our neighbors are improved through Christ. Now, while some may resent us or reject us for being Christian, we recognize that we are reconciled to our brothers and sisters in Christ through Christ. We are cleansed from the pollution that we have received from our neighbor's sins, and we, as God's forgiven people, readily forgive them. Remember the words of Jesus in today's gospel. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser. Jesus is not teaching what our society says to do today is to agree to disagree or jump on the bandwagon of whatever the current narrative is out there in society, but instead he says to be reconciled. That is to forgive one another. That way we may live together in peace and harmony. And this certainly fulfills God's commandment to love. After all, we are God's children together. He loves us, each and every one of us. And it is a great joy to be at peace with God. And as a result, it's a great joy to be at peace with one another. Oh, how blessed it is when Christians dwell in unity and harmony, forgiving one another and reconciling with one another.
Thanks be to God for these gifts. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.